The following is a presentation of the Neuropod podcast and is not an event that emerges from the Asset Nominating or Policies and Procedures Committees. Any candidate's failure to participate should not in any way influence your opinion or choice in this election. Welcome to the Neuropod, the podcast for neurodiagnostic professionals. Our mission is to provide you with information that can help you provide the best care for your patients. Knowledge is power, and more knowledge can lead to better patient outcomes. Joining me are the candidates for president-elect of ASSET, the Neurodiagnostic Society. The election is on now through May 31st, so if you are a member and you have not voted, please log in and go to www.asset.org forward slash board of trustees candidates with a hyphen between each one of those words. There you can review each nominee's resume and cast your vote for the candidate whom you believe can best lead our society. Our guests are appearing in alphabetical order, so first up is Mary Bettinas of University of California, San Francisco. Hi, Mary. Thanks for joining us today. Hi, Jason. Thank you for having me. I think our goal for today would be to highlight some of the things that um, people should think about when they cast their ballot for the president-elect. I absolutely agree, Um, and I appreciate the opportunity just to share my journey Mm -hmm. um, in my career thus far. Um, I actually started out as I said, a child prodigy. I started out when I was 18, Mm -hmm. um, way back when in 19, I think it was 84, going through a program at University of Madison, Wisconsin. And it was an accredited seated program at the time. Okay. And um, it was, it was probably one of my hardest, but best experiences by far um, to create a good foundation for me in this field. Yeah. I think in the pre-show, you you were telling me that it was uh, like two years of hands-on experience Mm -hmm. and uh all the underlying science behind it all crammed into what what short time 13 months it was it was the last year of their accredited program and um they took two years and consolidated into 13 months and it was learn it as you go i mean you had no time it was uh it was intense but it was it was great and um our our students that we had at the time, I think I was one of six and only half of us passed. Oh, wow. So it was pretty intense, pretty yeah. intense. So, so you started off your career at UW mm-hmm. through the training program. Where'd you, where'd you go from Correct. there? Sure. Um, I was fortunate enough to go to Rush Presbyterian St. Luke's Medical Center in Chicago. I started out um, as one of their technologists and worked my way up in that time frame and was fortunate to work with a lot of amazing physicians yeah. and just even the mentors of the lead techs that were there to help me grow. And eventually over time there, I became the lead tech, um, especially over their EMU. Wow. Yeah. Um, and, and which was great. With videotapes, I bet, right? So it's amazing. So we were 24 seven techs actually in the room with a VHS tripod at the end of the bed. Yeah. Right. Um, so the camera's there and then you have synchronized the stack, to a clock. Synchronized to a clock. <laughs> yes. And you had analog, right? So you had to make sure that your, I think at the time we had grass, we had a beehive and we had a telefactor. Um, we had Siemens, Neon Code, and you think of trying to sync all of these oh, wow. together. It's nothing like the digital world now, um, but it really, it it showed that technologists, their knowledge base, they had to be spot on at that time frame. 
yeah. because you're working within seconds to annotate, to make sure your 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 EEG machine doesn't run on ink or paper, that you're changing your tapes. Um, you know, you're documenting when someone has a seizure, you're actually in the room testing a patient during a seizure. So there was just so many great things about it when I think about uh, when I look back on it now. Yeah, that's but awesome. I, you know, that's... I had the... Sorry, I just, I I just the, want to comment um, real quick. That's, I mean, Rush Presby, it's selling equipment. That was a premier site where mm -hmm. everyone was dying to get in. I mean, it was a huge leading edge academic site. What a great place to start. Agreed. Absolutely agreed. Yeah. Um, was a great place, still is a great place. And um, even um, people that I was fortunate enough to mentor are still there leading, um, which is great. So very, very happy about that. Awesome. But I really, you know, got a, a feel for what it's like to work every shift, work double shifts, work night shift, day shift, while managing and leading a team. And then, you know, looking at things operationally, which I think um, was a great foundation for me um, mm -hmm. when I actually took on a job at UC San Diego. Um, and that was about eight years later, uh, a mentor of mine at UC San Diego reached out and said she was retiring. And if I wanted to come to San Diego, um, there, there would be an opportunity. So I went to UC San Diego. I was there for about 20 years um, in, in that capacity of being a lead technologist and actually a supervisor management role. Um, we did a lot of implementation and from an operational standpoint of just um, setting up EMUs, moving EMUs, expanding, um, you know, growing our ND techs and their professional journey, mm -hmm. which was absolutely amazing. And again, being involved with the clinical and research aspect because it is an academia or academic um, environment. Universities are, are just a wonderful experience because as a technologist, you get to see things that you wouldn't normally see in a private sector or in a rural sector, right? Yeah. Um, yeah. Things that are pretty rare, you may only see once in a career, um, but I, I've, I cherish the experience that I've had thus far because um, I truly feel everything that I've learned um, or been exposed to, um, my experience has molded me um, and given me insight and knowledge to to help support me in the roles that I'm in currently. Yeah, yeah. I'm gonna just to build on your point about the academia centers, the um, academic centers. There, uh, it's quite a privilege to grow up in your training and your experience and academic exposure in that kind of environment because. Uh, mm -hmm. A lot of places just don't have, um, let's just call it a library for the techs and, and you know, just right. a, a, a room where they can go and pull some resources or, or even a mentor to fall back on. Um, so to grow mm -hmm. up in the industry, in that environment, that's kudos to you. What a privilege. It's awesome. Yeah. It, that's a, that's a great point. When you think about, um, technologists, they have exposure. They have a lot of things at their fingertips, but it's having engagement with your physicians and your clinicians yeah. um, and building that rapport, that collaboration and support. Mm -hmm. um, I've been very fortunate, I feel, in much gratitude to the fact that most of my mentors um, have been physicians to help guide, train, teach along the way and willing to share um, and willing to have conversations about, you know, certain patterns that are seen in if you disagree, right? Why is that? Because 
are there's so much to learn and so much to see within our field, which is amazing. Yeah, you know what? And um, I know in Cerise Consulting work, she will uh, very strongly recommend, and it's so surprising how few get this privilege. Also, is to sit down once once a week with the physicians and and go through mm-hmm. just do a reading with them, see yeah. what they're looking for, have a conversation about Absolutely. what they're seeing. Yeah. yeah, it's a great point. We established that at UC San Diego, um, and we also did this at UCSF. So I came up to UCSF um, 10 years ago. Okay. So I have 30 years um, within the UC system, so keeping continuity within the UC uh, or University of California mm-hmm. system, which is amazing in itself. You mean that's um, not one University of, the... of Cincinnati? <laughs> no. <laughs> Sorry, Jason. Sorry. <laughs> no. Um, One of the things that we really looked at is internal education for our technologists um, and what that would look like, right? Because I know what it's like to be on the front lines. You, if you're not able to um, have that education and knowledge base and support or advocacy, if you will, on a day-to-day basis with your lead tech supervisors and or clinicians, where are you going to get it? So um, our epilepsy faculty has been wonderful. Uh, we have a lunch and learn every month. Nice. We have record reviews every week oh, for peds and for adults. And it's all because we have a faculty that's, that really understands and appreciates what we do in that, in that it goes both ways. Yeah. Um, and to have that type of engagement is amazing. To And, and just, I haven't, I want all centers to have this type of support internally because it really then helps support one's um, career growth, their, their journey to learn more and feel like they have the support. Um, So that was one of the, one of the priorities and making sure that our internal techs are appreciated, empowered for the value they bring to the table. I know what it's like to work the night shift. It's hard. It's like three o'clock in the morning. It's like someone please have a seizure to keep me awake. So, you know, it's like those kind of things. You don't want it to be monotonous, but then there's a lot going on. And I have a great appreciation for my teams that work the night shift, especially, I mean, them all in general, but especially the night shift, they have to work independently. They don't have, or they have support of a smaller team. They don't have the luxury like our day shift techs, right? Um, because majority of people are working Monday through Friday. Yeah. And these, you know, techs are working night shift and weekend. So yeah. Well, good, uh, good, good luck getting the docs to come in and do that hour read weekly after hours. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Well, we're fortunate we're 24 seven. And so our physicians, the minute if a tech calls in the middle of the night, they're tapping right in and looking at it and providing right. that support. Right. Uh, but that's but, building but that's, a system. That's UCSF. <laughs> that's that's True. not out in the suburbs of absolutely Cincinnati, Ohio, agree. yeah yeah and that it brings up a good point jason that is something that we should be looking at as as a community as an asset society of what we're doing to support our members what yeah. we're doing to support all of our great techs out there who are doing the work regardless of what modalities they are is what falls under our nd umbrella yeah. right yeah um, how do we know we're doing well? How do we know we're serving them in a way that is meaningful and valuable and helping them in their day-to-day life, yeah. their day-to-day scope of work? 
Yeah. Well, if you can figure it out, um, you got my vote. I'm sorry to say that and be uh, apolitical, <laughs> but it's uh, it, it really is. My point is it is a privilege what with what you have and where you grew up in this industry is um, it's something that uh, it, it's there's no way to define it other than a privilege. It's and yeah, there's it so few there's so few people. I guarantee I guarantee 75 percent of our listeners are, are listening going, oh, if I only wish. You know, that I had docs that would sit down once a week with me and read and go through this and then, you know, sit in or be a guest at a journal club for a bunch of residents, right. you know, they, they don't have that opportunity. They, they don't, but, you know, here's an idea. I have many ideas mm -hmm. um, and hopefully I will have more of an opportunity if I'm voted in as president-elect. I look at it as COVID gave us a silver lining. We have Zoom options now. Mm -hmm. So we can reach those in rural areas or who are text my hats off to them. They're a one man show, so to speak, or one woman show, mm -hmm. right? Um, we can invite them into a lunch and learn. We can, there, there's more ways um, from a networking perspective that we can engage more and help support more on a national level, international level, statewide, locally. I mean, there, there are means to do that. Mm -hmm. that's powerful. Yeah. And I, and that is something we can definitely build upon. That's awesome. Um, I love the, yeah, I love the creative spin on, and, and what you, what we actually in the pre-show, we talked about what COVID has developed new skills and new ways to approach old problems. True. Very true. You know, um, the fact is, you know, we needed to be on site all the time to look at an EEG. We'd be calling people in, physicians in, to look at an EEG. Um, you know, networking Citrix has given us the sort of environment now, if you will, that makes it easier for our physicians. Um, we still have a, a, a standard of having a text on site 24 seven, um, mm -hmm. but that is what we've built. Um, understanding there's different models on a national level, but there are ways that um, through COVID we identified, became creative, pivoted, so to speak, in new ways to achieve things and probably streamlined and optimized a few things that we never even thought were, we were capable of. Mm -hmm. Yep, exactly. So, exactly. So we, we went over some of the employment history and I don't want to go backwards on you, but um, <laughs> I did, no, I, I noticed that, uh, since 2008, you've been involved in one, two, three, four uh, leadership academy type programs or, or, or uh, mm -hmm. things that you've gone through with. Tell, you want to tell me about that and how it developed sure. you? Maybe got you ready for this position? Absolutely. Um, for me and my journey, um, I wanted to be in a place where I can teach, mentor, train, give back. And I felt going the leadership route would definitely give me that insight. Um, I'm always one wanting to learn new skills and how do I learn something new every day to help me be a better person and a better person to serve. Um, I feel the three different academic centers, universities that I've been involved in, each one has been sort of um, a step forward towards this direction of leadership. Learning different leadership styles, going through different leadership programs has helped me form my own type of leadership style mm -hmm. um, and being a, a more effective leader, if you will. And then really looking at how best to surround yourself in a team where each person, and, and if my team, if my 
my teams are listening, they're going to laugh because I say this all the time, but they're, they each bring something to the table. Everyone has similarities in skill sets and differences. Mm -hmm. And with those differences, we make up the piece to the puzzle. That is our overarching department. Um, surrounding yourself with people who may have different skills or better skills than I do, but knowing how to utilize them for the benefit for the majority. Yeah. Right. And in yeah. doing that, we become more effective. We become a team that is to be reckoned with. Right. And we we can do a lot of things in moving forward. And we've been successful in doing that. Um, my style is not to be out in front. I'm there to support those. Um, and I'm there as a safety net. I'm there to advocate for them um, while we're driving change or doing things that are not that easy. And majority of the time we will be successful. There's going to be times where it didn't go the way that we wanted, but what did we learn from that? Mm -hmm. And what do we need to do differently moving forward? Yeah. But it's, it, but it's so important to have everyone engaged or at least feel like they have a voice in their herd. Yeah. I've been fortunate and I, I really feel this where I'm at currently. Um, it, it, I felt like I arrived in a position where it aligned with my values and my moral compass and where I wanted to be professionally mm -hmm. and allowing me to um, give back and what I've learned over the years, be able to put into motion to help support initiatives moving forward and the people. Um, we wouldn't be where we are without everyone. It, this is, it takes a village. Mm -hmm. And so um, it's not just one key person, it's, it's everyone that's involved and engaged okay. um, and we're, we're just so multifaceted that um i i'm just so happy to be a part of it mm -hmm. that i want to be able to to still continue and give back if i feel i get to a point where i've done all i could then it's time for me to step away and someone else to take the reins mm -hmm. I'm, I'm fully aware of that um, but i feel there's still i have more to give and i feel definitely for this president-elect position I feel I'm at a good point in my career journey thus far of almost four decades, right? When you look at that, that I'm at a point where I feel I can make a difference. Um, understanding what our, our community wants, our membership wants. I think that's going to be the biggest thing I'd like to see. Mm -hmm. Are we going, we have so many great initiatives, right? Are we, are we doing what's best for majority? Do, do we want to look at doing something different? It's really getting a temperature gauge or engagement from our our membership as a whole mm -hmm. and see what's working well and what we can do differently to support majority of, of our members. Yeah. Uh, you know, I sit over the years I've been involved in, engaged in, and still I am in task force committees um, for asset and ABRA in various capacities. And you really get a, an idea, a background of things that go on behind the scenes mm -hmm. and what we're trying to do to drive change on a national level um, to support um, encroachment right um, into our into our ND arena, mm -hmm. um, the collaboration and support um, the integrated parts with other societies. Um, you know, when we look at all of that as a whole, um, are we at the end of the day doing the best for our members? Yeah. from an educational supply, you know, supporting for the knowledge and resources and bases. Do we have a sort of roadmap for them to, to know sort of their journey of what they want? 
um, and where they can fit in. Once you're in this ND arena, you have a job for life in many different capacities. There's so many different avenues to go. Yeah. And but who guides them? Who supports them? You know, we have asset doing a phenomenal job, and you know, Abra and other societies as well providing content. Um, but I think we could do a little bit more. Am I reading this right? You've been to every single asset conference since 1987. Does that mean you are up for an award for the most consecutive or something? I should be. Um, <laughs> I, I should be. I think the only one I may have missed a few trickled throughout that time frame. Um, but I just put it this way. I've been engaged with asset and, and Abret since the early 80s. Well, yeah. like 87. Yeah. You know, I, I, I had the pleasure of working with Abra and hosting boards when we actually had techs doing, you know, for their boards to sit. It was seated. It was yeah. the best ever. You get yeah. to see them demonstrate um, their valuable skills and, you know, from a knowledge perspective or, um, you know, their reading abilities, their technical skills, just the basic fundamentals of a 1020 hookup or EPs, right? It was it was so great. I have a, um, some notes in front of me and okay. I look under professional contributions. And mm. I mean, if I count these out, there's probably 25 <laughs> bullets. I, think I, for, I forgot uh, the Epilepsy Awareness Day at, at Disneyland. Um, yes. But these I mean, are the it's, things uh, it's, that it's, I like Mary, to do. it's a lot of involvement. You're <laughs> not afraid to jump in, dig in. And as no. I heard you say earlier, push your foot down into the wet concrete, let it set yeah. and become a part of it. Mm -hmm. Yes. Yeah. Uh, absolutely. And I, I like to be a part of it um, and share um, and learn, right? Mm -hmm. uh, as we go along, there's not always, you know, even though we've been sort of, sometimes we have blinders on and think this is the only way to do things. Um, as I stated before, COVID is a great example of, guess what? Blinders come off. There's different ways to do things. Um, yeah, yeah. But I, I like to be engaged in in any of the, and give back in any way I can, even from an epilepsy standpoint, um, from an asset standpoint, um, statewide, you know, when we had local meetings or national meetings being engaged in that as well. Mm -hmm. But there's things that you go on day to day um, that we need people to help support in. Or engagement in. Absolutely. Yeah. How do you feel about recruiting? What about that person that says, you know, I'd love to, but mm, I don't know if it's for me. How, how, how are you going to build the participation? Yeah. That's it's interesting. So first, I just welcome them to just try it on a trial basis. You don't have to commit. Just you can try out whether it be a task force committee or getting involved in something locally or in a state level. Just try it and see. I mean, because you won't know until you do. Mm -hmm. um, and if it's for you, great. Or it may lead you to something that you never even thought of. Um, and if that works for you, great. If not, you know you tried it and it's not for me, move on to something else. Right. Um, there's always, there's there's a plethora of things. Um, Co committees are one, that, right? 
committees, task force. Mm -hmm. um, there's programs, even if you look at from a statewide, um, there's societies on a local level. Um, there's American Epilepsy Society, you know, there's ABCN. I mean, each, if you look at anything that falls under neurodiagnostics or neurophysiology or neurology or even neurosurgery or mm -hmm. epilepsy as a whole, you look at everything and every avenue that we fall into, um, MEG, EMG, like you look at all of this, IOM, there are committees, task force programs to get involved in. It's just finding yeah. the niche that you feel passionate about. Right. Right. I mean, I know where my passion lies, um, but it may not be the same for you or for someone else. Right now, currently, I I, I love what Asset's doing. I want to be a part of it and I want to continue in my engagement um, and with Abret and any other societies as a whole. Yep. That's awesome. Okay, Mary. So um, you want to just kind of tie this thing up and let me know why you think our uh, listeners should vote for you. I really feel that I'm in a good position with the experience, um, the knowledge and the skill set that I have to date, right? I'm still continuing to learn yeah. um, that I can integrate that into the current um, mission, vision and goals and strategic initiatives that asset has set forth. Yeah. And then also bring some new and creative ideas to the table. Um, you know, I think one of the things is, is really getting a great idea of, are we doing what's best for our members? I, I would love to survey our membership and just get an idea of how well we're doing, you know, um, the engagement piece from our members um, to sort of be our beacon and making sure that all of the great work and initiatives that are in motion right now are serving um, our membership to the best of ability. Mm -hmm. and, and granted, we know we have a large scope, but for the majority, um, I, I think that's one thing that I would like to implement or add to many of the strategic initiatives that we have. Um, and also we talked a little bit earlier just about the silver lining, right, of, of COVID, being right? able to, yes, the, yeah. that, you know, with networking, um, Zoom capabilities, being able to have outreach to those that um, are not in positions of large universities um, or only having one or two techs and being able to have some guidance, some mentorship, um, educational opportunities, looking at how we can expand and reach them. Yeah. That would be, a. I think it would be so important. So, and then we feel like we are, we have inclusion no matter where you are. Yeah. If you're rural, local, state, national, and even international, there's a lot of global initiatives um, going on that are looking to take off. We, If there's network capabilities, we have the ability to share. We have the ability to educate. We have the ability to train and mentor as well. Um, you know what, Mary? That's, um, that's awesome. But um, at one point, I, we might not have been recording, but you had mentioned um, about the C-suite and getting uh, mm. the advocacy advocacy of yeah. you know from the leadership in each in these hospitals i mean they don't have to be a yeah. thousand bed downtown hospital but a yeah. uh, small you know 300 bed hospital and having them right. understand the value of credentialing so that they can give more support to our membership mm -hmm. and i think that was a good point do you want to tell us a little more about that sure um i think one of the the privileges that I have is being, um, you know, on one of the committees or task force, which is NAPA. So, you know, we're 
advocating um, to send a message out and arming our leaders, if you will, with tools and resources and educational material to share with the C-suite about who we are and what we do. Mm-hmm. And thinking you only have like a 30-second elevator pitch, right? So you, so you, the, you, these really, people with those tools would be advocates for the asset members in that hospital that they're talking right. to their CEO to give them the support that they need to provide better care for that hospital's patients. Absolutely. Looking at the importance of competency and credentialing, Mm -hmm. um, education, uh, you know, as this field continues to evolve, um, making sure that their skills stay on par and they continue to learn and support even initiatives or even if they want to grow and take on other services, there is a foundation set up um, and making sure that, you know, if they want to become a level four epilepsy center, there's criteria to be met. Yeah. Making sure that they have an arsenal of resources and competency of their team members. And then that will empower them as well, knowing that they have support from higher up. And then there's a leader who is a conduit, a liaison to be able to advocate for their team, as well as sharing information with the C-suite on why this would be best suited as a win-win situation. Yeah. And patient care outcomes. Our patients are going to be you know, um, you think about these things from a risk management point of view, you want someone who's skilled and competent to do the work. Yeah, absolutely. And reputation yeah. is everything in this industry. That EEG, absolutely that EEG it is. goes everywhere that patient goes. That's a, that's a very good point. So you want to do quality work yeah. because not only is bad EEG, you know, quality work for helping your physician to diagnose and treat the patient, right? But then that is going to be part of this this patient file that goes anywhere can go to, uh, you know, another hospital in another state, and they're going to be looking at that. And you want to make sure your reputation is top notch. Yeah, absolutely. absolutely. Very good. Well, Mary, I appreciate your time. I really enjoyed working with you and I wish you the best of luck. Thank you so much. And thank you for the opportunity. I greatly appreciate it. Good deal. Good luck in the election. Thank you. Take care. Thank you for tuning in. I'm Jason Meyer for The Neuropod, the podcast for neurodiagnostic professionals.